If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to this week's episode of the Modern Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Cook, and today's episode is an interview I am super excited to share with you. I sat down with Dory Clark, consultant and keynote speaker, who teaches executive education at Duke and Columbia University Business Schools. She's the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. She's been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. I am so excited to pass her wisdom along to you. Dory, welcome to the Modern Mentor Podcast. I am over the moon excited to have you here with me today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm glad to be speaking with you. I am so excited to bring your voice to my audience. You're somebody I have been paying a lot of attention to since I started my own business about five years ago. And I thought it would be a really helpful moment to bring you on the show as we are recording this right now at a moment of pretty pervasive anxiety and uncertainty. We've got the pandemic happening. We've got things happening in our culture that are leaving people confused and afraid. And I think all of us are just looking for some ways to feel a little bit more secure at work, whether it's about keeping the job that we have or finding a new one or reinventing our own professional brand. And I know that this is where you are a superstar. So I'm incredibly excited to have you here. One of the things that you love to talk about is this concept of just really being invaluable and having ownership over our personal brand. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your own personal journey to this point of view and just a little bit about what that means to you. Well, I started my business uh, doing consulting work in 2006. And for anyone who has launched their own business, they maybe have gone through a variation of this, which is that the minute that I launched, I suddenly realized, oh no, uh, because I, I somehow hadn't counted on it. But immediately after launching my consulting business, I came to realize with this you know, sort of thunderstruck uh, awe that pretty much everybody else in the world was a consultant. And I somehow needed to differentiate myself. And people, you know, even people who are nice, even people who are helping or trying to help would ask like, so tell me more about what you do. What do you specialize in? What's unique about you? And I would be like, oh my God. It just, it felt like they were, they were like negging me or something. And I'm just like, oh no, I don't know how to answer that question. And it was so traumatizing. And I think that, that whether you work for yourself or you work inside a corporation, it can be very hard for people to answer that question of, well, what is so special about you? Partly because to ourselves, we are all normal. We are the definition of normal to ourselves. And so it becomes very hard to really identify if we're doing anything uh, special. It doesn't seem that special to us. And of course, many of us uh, have self-doubt about various aspects of what we do. So you take that in combination 
And it becomes really tricky to parse it out. But I came to realize, you know, I, I was not married or anything. I was very much relying on my business for my income. I realized like, oh, I better figure this out. Like this is sort of like a, a, a life and death or at least, you know, business life or death situation that I somehow had to learn how to talk about myself. I somehow had to, had to individuate myself and I somehow had to get other people to really understand what I could do differently and what I could offer them or else my business wouldn't survive. So uh, it, it became a, a topic of keen interest and curiosity to me. There's an expression, something like fear is the driver of reinvention or something. It's It's something much more eloquent than that. But sometimes fear isn't necessarily something that we want to experience, but it really can be a driver of pushing us to figure stuff out and and to make it happen. So what have you concluded? What is it about you that is unique and special? And how did you find yourself to figuring that out? Well, one of the things that I that I often see, I run a, a online course and community with a lot of folks who are professionals called the Recognized Expert Community. And literally just this afternoon, I was having a call with some of them. And so many people struggle with this question about, well, what's my niche and how do I know and how, how do I determine it? And one of the things that I have really come to have almost as a mantra, which I like to tell other people because thankfully they find it reassuring, is that you don't necessarily have to pick a niche. You know, if you're doing it right, it, you know, of, of course, if there's a particular thing you're drawn to, you say, oh, I know I want to be a, you know, a specialist in XYZ. Well, fantastic. Go do that. But if you don't know and it feels hard to you, it feels like you're forcing something. It feels like, oh God, I don't even know where to start. Maybe don't. Maybe don't pick something because what we need to do and what I did was I let my niche pick me. And what I mean by that is that it's like a startup, right? We don't know anything about what the market really wants. We have a range of things that we can possibly do, but it is a fool's errand to try to predict what other people will find interesting. What we should be doing is having, much like a software startup does with a lean startup methodology, we should be having small bets, small experiments. And it can come in the form of trying new projects, trying new collaborations. It can come in the form of creating a lot of different content and articles. That was how it was for me, where early on in my business, I was writing a bunch of different articles about a bunch of different things. And it turned out that the one that really stuck for some reason, I could not have predicted it, was about professional reinvention. And that had the fortunate side effect that I had written a blog post for the Harvard Business Review about it. And I, and so that went well. So they asked me, well, would you write a full length article about it? So I did that. And from there, I was actually able to write my, my first book, Reinventing You. I never would have picked that topic. I would have never known to pick it, but it picked me because I had done enough experiments to actually know what it felt like when something was finally working. That is a very liberating story to hear because I think a lot of us, whether we are entrepreneurs or we work for a company, we have a boss, there is this sense of pressure that we always have. We have to have a 10-year plan. We have to have a strategy. We have to know exactly where we're going. But it sounds like what I just heard you say is just try a bunch of stuff that feels right and see how it lands. I know you spend a lot of your time talking to entrepreneurs, and I'm curious, how would you help somebody think through... That sounds great, but I am kind of a mid-level marketing manager or I'm a project manager or I work in sales or client services and 
I'm worried about my job and I really want to just be seen as essential. I want to, I want people to see me as invaluable. Is there any advice you can offer someone who might be in that situation? Absolutely. Yeah. So it is as important, if not more important, to become a recognized expert inside your own company. That's a, a very valid pursuit because, you know, it is a competitive world. And so if you can set it up so that you're operating in a world where the people around you know what you can do, they respect you, they say, oh, you know, this, this person is an essential part of our team. That's one of the best things you can do for your career insurance. So how do we do it? The question really, as with all things, starts with the audience. So get really clear, frankly, on who you need to impress. That could be your boss, but it's probably not just your boss. It's probably the people around your boss and maybe your boss's boss. You know, sort of think through that circle that you want to be operating in. And then you really have to do a kind of strategic deep dive where it is really kind of working backwards to try to figure out who do they respect and, you know, who is successful at this company and what do those people have in common? So for instance, you might discover in your company that everybody that seems to be on the fast track of promotion seems to have overseas experience. Well, if that's the case, okay, how do you get overseas experience? Or, you know, maybe the people that are considered the real comers are the ones that are constantly presenting at conferences or, oh, they're always the ones that, you know, are really active on the company intranet. So everybody sees their ideas and it's like, oh, wow, did you see what Jeremy said? He's so smart, you know? And so it's just like looking for the people who have already been successful and then really reverse engineering and saying, well, how can I do similar things? How can I showcase my abilities or my ideas in a, a similar fashion? So those are some great ideas around how do you pay attention to what's happening around you? So you can ask your boss, right? How do I get promoted or how do I get to the next level and pay attention to what your boss says? But, but what I hear you saying is also pay attention maybe to what he or she isn't saying, but what you're observing around you. So what are some of the trends you can spot? What is kind of in between the lines that you need to be paying attention to? One of the other ideas I think that's really kind of popular right now is this whole concept of innovation, right? It's been a buzzword for for years at this point. And I think a lot of people tend to equate innovation with people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. And if you're not inventing a handheld computer or sending somebody into space, you're not really an innovator. I am a big believer that innovation comes in capital I's and lowercase I's and everything in between. Um, and I think innovation and paying attention to what's happening around you are some pretty interlinked concepts. But I'd love to hear how you think about the idea of innovation, whether it's in the realm of entrepreneurship or in the realm of just career success. What does innovation mean to you? And what are some ways we can start to attach ourselves to that concept? Yeah, I think that's a really important question, Rachel, because innovation has become such a lauded concept, such a sort of sexy concept that many people assume that it's not for them. It's sort of like the saying like, oh, if you ask any five-year-old, are you an artist? They're like, yeah, I'm an artist. And if you ask any 50-year-old, you know, literally only people who have gallery representation will be like, oh yeah, I'm an artist. <laughs> so uh, so I, I think that we need to, to unlock that and to understand that you do not have to work at an innovation consultancy or you do not have to be, you know, a specialist in new product development in order to innovate in some capacity. Really, it's kind of a fundamental quality of human beings, right? Is like the point of innovation is you do a new thing 
how sad would it be if all we're doing is just constantly like walking in the same footsteps in the snow day after day? Like that's, uh, that's not very gratifying. We need to, uh, to try different stuff. I mean, sometimes it's, it's big and it's obvious like, oh, let's launch a new product or a new service. Sometimes it's a process innovation. It's, you know, stepping back and realizing, hey, do we need these three forms? What if we could get by with one form? You know, but if you do things like that, you're saving time, you're making life better for everybody. And so I think, you know, I actually think of innovation as frankly, just sort of a form of being awake to life. Like instead of just, just sitting back and doing things the way you're told and replicating them, it's actually uh, having the level of interest and mental acuity to, to not be a robot, to step up and say, oh, hey, you know, how, how about this? And not always, but maybe the this is going to be better. I think that that's a great point. It would be a sad state if we just went in and, and kind of experienced Groundhog's Day every day, right? We do want to be looking for opportunities. I'm a big fan of this concept of linking and labeling. So if you do have the idea and you do suggest, hey, we use three forms, what if we used one? Wouldn't that be an interesting innovation, right? And just starting to practice saying the thing that feels small and incremental, but then just attaching the word innovation to it. I wonder if that may help to grow your brand in that space as well. I love that suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I would love to get your thoughts because I know you do a lot of work around innovation and finding that unique idea. I feel like sometimes things like anxiety and uncertainty can kind of inhibit our creativity and our imagination. We can be so focused on don't lose the job, don't get fired, you know, that it it almost can hold us back from being that observer and paying attention and imagining the possibilities. And so I wonder, what advice do you have for people who may be experiencing this sense of uncertainty, but at the same time, want to make sure that they are maintaining their brand of being creative and innovative? How can we think about that? Well, it's a, a really important question because you know, for obvious reasons, people may be feeling that. I mean, it's true. The economy is not fantastic right now, to say the least. So it's not irrational to be worried about one's job or to, you know, to a certain extent to feel like it's necessary to be playing defense. But uh, but obviously, we also know it's not a great state to be in perennially playing defense. Just on its face, that is not a really winning strategy. You can't win a game merely by not having other people score against you. It's at a certain point, you need to go on the offense and and create something of your own. So I think that actually, one of my prescriptions is that the best way to not be fearful and to not be needy is to not be needy. (laughs) And what I mean by that is if you are desperate for the job, if you're like, wow, I will be sunk if I don't have this job, if you turn it into a super high risk situation where you literally cannot afford to lose this job or all will be lost, of course, you're going to cling to it like a life raft. Of course, you're going to play it safe. Of course, you are going to uh, probably start exhibiting negative behaviors, frankly, because you are so fearful and messed up about that. And so the real point is, how do we not get ourselves into that situation? It's like dating people or something, right? Like people, if they feel like, oh, I'm never going to meet anybody for the rest of my life, they will put up with terrible things that an outside observer would say, I don't think so. That's that's not good. And so you always want to have 
the comfort that if you had to walk away, you could. And that gives you so much more freedom, mental freedom, just literal freedom to be able to take chances, to enjoy things, to make it your way. So how do you get that freedom? That's actually what my newest book, Entrepreneurial You, is about, which is even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, even if you love your day job, fantastic. Nonetheless, I believe it is important for people to create side income streams for themselves because it is both an insurance policy in case anything bad does happen, and it's a method of professional growth and networking that will help you in your day job. And it could be anything from starting a podcast on the side like you have here. It could be right, you know, starting to write some freelance articles. It could be doing some coaching on the side. It could be if you're a photographer, maybe shooting some weddings on weekends. So a million ways you can do it, but it can become a lifeline for you and help you feel a lot more freedom and a lot more comfort in your day job. So I think starting a side gig, having a bit of revenue on the side begins with an idea, right? So maybe you have a skill, maybe you're a photographer, maybe you're a writer, but maybe you're not. And maybe you need some sort of creative idea. And I know that great ideas are part of your secret sauce. So can you talk to us a little bit about what makes a great idea and how can we put ourselves into that zone of exploration? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also say, I mean, Ideally, we'd have a great idea, but the honest truth is that for many people, they feel like, oh, I can't get started until I have a great idea. And then they, and then they never, you know, of course, right? They never find a great idea. So they never do anything. We can often act our way into finding the great idea. All you need, I would say you don't need to start with a great idea. What you need to start with is a hypothesis. You need to start with something that you say, eh, this could work. Let's try it. And it gets the ball rolling. Maybe what you discover is you say, you know what, uh, I'll do wedding photography. And you start doing wedding photography and it turns out you hate it or it turns out nobody wants wedding photography, but they find out you do photography and they say, hey, well, hey, would you do corporate headshots for me? I really need to spiff up my LinkedIn profile. And all of a sudden you discover, oh, that's what the market wants from me. And so it's through starting that you're able to get enough data so that you can then successfully pivot. It all comes full circle, right? Because you started in the beginning by saying, just try stuff, just put something out there and let the market respond. And waiting for the big idea is, it sounds like it is a loser's game. You might get lucky, but odds probably aren't in your favor, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the problem is like too many people are too precious about everything. <laughs> you know, they're, they're so precious about you know, the idea of oh, writing the book, writing the novel or whatever, that they, they never even write a 500 word blog piece. I started my career in journalism. And one thing you learn is you can never be precious about it because no matter what shape it's in, if it is Monday at noon or whenever it is, like that's the deadline and you're done. You need to just, just get going. And so I think people often feel like whatever they're putting into the world has to be perfect. It has to be finished because, oh God, everyone's going to render judgment and they'll look terrible. They'll look unprofessional if it's not perfect. It is never going to be perfect if it is something that you have created solely in your head. There is no human being, maybe besides Steve Jobs, probably not even Steve Jobs, they can somehow magically dream up something in their head 
and then the world loves it. You only are able to create a viable idea through testing, through iteration, through talking to actual people, talking to actual customers. That's how it happens. And so as long as you're straight up and you're like, hey, I'm trying a thing, it's a pilot, you know, we'll see how it goes. What do you think? Then I think most people will be very receptive and they will be able to understand and contextualize that it is not the finished product. It is a minimum viable product, but you will be able to get the data that you otherwise never could have. And so I think part of what, at least in my experience, and I believe from yours as well, because I've heard you tell some stories, part of what can help us find that success, whether it is getting some momentum around an idea we might be looking to put out from an entrepreneurial standpoint, or whether it is about looking for advocacy within our company or looking for support in finding a new job, I think one of the things we need to all be paying attention to is our network, our professional network. I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your network, how you define who you want in it, how you cultivate it, how you tap into it, and also how you serve it. Yeah, all the all the network facets. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say that for me, the most important aspect around network is the fact that... I think what makes some people hesitant about networking, what makes them feel like it might not be a good thing or something they're uncomfortable with is the idea that somehow it has to be transactional. And they'll say, well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the person that, that uses people or that, you know, is always out to get something. You know, they don't want to be the, the business card trader. And I think, I think that that's valid. Uh, but I also think it's a little bit of a caricature because that is certainly not all networking. The kind of networking that I advocate for is is really basic. It is about making friends with people that you think are interesting. And great things inherently come from that because people like to hang out with and, in fact, to do business with their friends. If someone is somehow taking a hardline stance that, you know, grandpa told you about that, oh, never do business with your friends. Hello, I'm sorry, you have the wrong friends. What kind of friends do you have if you can't trust them enough to do business with them? That's preposterous. You should only do business with your friends. So the point is make make lots of friends that you like, and then business will come of it. I am remembering a story I heard you tell on a podcast once about when you had a book coming out, and it may have been your first and it was it was a story about how you helped it get onto the New York Times list, right? And there was there was just an incredible amount of hustle to it. And I remember being both a little bit exhausted, but mostly incredibly inspired by your story. Is this ringing a bell? Do you know what I'm referring to? One of my favorite concepts or phrases about this is something that Harvey McKay who was a business speaker from the 80s, used to popularize. He wrote a book called Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And I love that framing of it. You know, you really need to be building the network now, not for what you want to get in two weeks, but for what you want to get in two years or 20 years, uh, because it is very, very much a long-term proposition. What I love about what you're talking to, because when I heard you tell the story, I didn't have an aspiration of writing a book, and I still don't. And so what I want listeners to understand is that I think your strategy transcends launching a book, because what I took from your story is that you had put something out into the world. For you, it was a book, but it could be your photography business. It could be whatever you are willing to put out into the world. And you just had the confidence and the hustle to reach out to an incredible number of people 
and be really specific about what you wanted from them. In that case, it may have been a pre-order. It may have been a review. But I think what holds a lot of people back is not necessarily anxiety about the idea, but the anxiety about telling the world about it and putting ourselves out there and being really vulnerable. And so I just thought you exhibited an, an incredible amount of just courage and confidence and a hustle muscle that I don't think anybody could compete with. I found that really inspiring. And I just wanted people to hear you talk a little bit about that. So thank you. For the majority of professionals, it is not about trying to land some big fish that you don't even know that will miraculously help you. Like I used to run a nonprofit years ago and I'd get like volunteers or sometimes even board members, God help us. And they would be like, you know, what would be amazing is if Oprah gave us money. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That would be amazing. Do you know Oprah? Because I don't. <laughs> you know, like, come come on, people. Like, stop daydreaming. It's not about the big hit. That is not what is going to, you know, sell your book. That is not what's going to support your nonprofit. That is not what's going to launch your career or your side gig. What is going to launch it is the people who love you and believe in you and are willing to beat the drum to say, no, 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 this person's amazing. You've got to pay attention to this. When I've done affiliate promotions for my, the, the online courses that I run, like my Recognize Expert course, the people who have been the best affiliates, you know, the people who have been the best at helping me sell it are not the people who statistically had the biggest lists or anything like that. They were the people who frankly loved me the most and we were the closest friends because they could write about the course and write about me in the most impassioned way to make it very, very clear why they thought that their people would enjoy it. I'm imagining who might be listening and I'm picturing someone who's thinking, okay, I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling brave. I want to take some ownership of my brand. I want to be taking a few steps so that I can understand what my brand is. How do people see me? And how can I take some ownership of it? How can I shift it? How can I support it? And so I would love to just close with a couple of your thoughts on what we should all be doing to understand what our personal brand is and feel a sense of empowerment and ownership over it. Yeah, thank you. It's it's really an important question to be thinking about in these times. So I will refer quickly to a, a framework that I lay out in my first book, Reinventing You, um, which is really about you know what the what the process of inventing or reinventing your brand looks like. And the first step to your point is about getting clear on how you're perceived currently, right? Because none of us is a blank slate. We all you know, people think something about us. So how do we figure it out? One, one exercise that is kind of fun, you know, some people have, have very much gotten into it. So I'll, I'll share it here is something really simple called the three word exercise where you reach out to about a half dozen friends or colleagues who know you reasonably well. And you ask them a super simple question, which is just describe me in three words. And so you want to write down the words so you don't forget because after a while they'll blend together. But you are absolutely, by the time you get to five or six people, you are going to see patterns in what they're telling you. And, you know, this is not necessarily a perfect rendering of your soul, right? I mean, probably they're not going to talk about your weaknesses, for instance, but it's certainly a good roadmap, at least, for what your strengths are. And the interesting thing is that if you are an observant person, what is almost always the case is that people's weaknesses are pretty much a mirror image 
of their strengths. So if everyone is like, wow, Rachel, you're so tactical and detail oriented and you're such a perfectionist or, you know, whatever it is, like those are great things to be, but those are not really the words you'd associate with a CEO, for instance, right? And so you would look at that and say, okay, that's good, but but where is the gap? So if I want to be a CEO, I, you know, yeah, okay, maybe I can be tactical, but I can't be all of those things. I have to also be visionary or I also have to be strategic as well. And so it begins to give you a kind of action plan or marching orders. And so the second step then is to define what that future vision looks like for yourself and begin to to really write out like, okay, well, what what can I do to be seen as more strategic? Maybe it's volunteering to lead this strategic planning committee or so, you know something like that, but taking those steps. And then finally, there's the third part that I write about in Reinventing You, which is what I call living out your brand, because we have to realize that this is not a one-time thing. This is not one and done. It is an ongoing process. And so we have to make sure that as we are living our lives, that we are doing so in congruity so that people are, are getting it on a regular basis, that, uh, that there's no disjunct or disconnect between how we would like to be seen in the actions that we are taking. So if we can do those things, we really can actually take control of our brands. Is there anything just in closing that I haven't asked you that you feel like is really important to be said right now? Well, thank you very much. Um, one thing that I will mention actually for people who are interested in these questions about, you know, how do you stand out at work during difficult times? What does it take to really be known for your ideas? Um, I have a free resource that folks might be interested in, which is uh, the 42-page standout self-assessment based on one of my other books, Stand Out. And folks who are interested can get it for free at doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com slash join, J-O-I-N. Thank you so much, Dory. I, I have really enjoyed this conversation. It has been a pleasure to meet you. And I will just close and say, I am a big believer that we all deserve to know when we have inspired somebody and you have inspired me today, but in years past. And so I want to just thank you for that. That's so nice. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's great to talk with you. I'm Rachel Cook, your modern mentor host. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dory and that you're feeling fired up about taking control of your personal brand. I'll be back next week to talk about what to do if you've hit a work slump. And if you have, you're not alone. Until then, check out the links in my bio for all the ways you can reach me. You can visit my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the new Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 